TED Audio Collective. Yeah, we're actually recording this on the anniversary of when I checked into an emergency room at a hospital in Hobart, which is in Tasmania, the island state of Australia. I was in hospital for three and a half weeks. I was in the ICU for a while with a breathing tube, which is bad, didn't enjoy it. Helen Zaltzman is a radio and podcast person. And she and her husband were global nomads, traveling the world, making her show from the road, when about a year in, she became gravely ill. Suddenly, all of it had to stop. Helen was in the hospital for a month. I remember the day after I came out of the ICU and I thought, oh my God. I just felt like everything was very fragile, like my brain wasn't working or my voice wasn't working. My husband is financially dependent on me at the moment. What have I done? How have I got myself into this situation? Helen needed to recover physically and rethink how she was going to keep up with the life she and her husband had created. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and this is ZigZag, the podcast about the changing culture of business and work, where we take a realistic look at people trying to build sustainable careers, companies, and stay healthy. On this episode, a unique perspective on a very hot topic, burnout. Lots of us worry about it, think we may be headed towards it. But what does burnout, and in this case, extreme burnout, actually look like? It was in some ways an amazing thing to happen to me. I felt really sublime for a long time, for months after it happened. And I don't think it was just, hey, I'm alive. I think it just really clarified a lot of things. And it felt like a lot of layers of my personality had been removed. My conversation with Helen, how she built a business because she couldn't hold down a job, or so she says, why she and her husband don't want to kill each other even though they spend all their time together, and the changes she's had to make to how she works since checking into that emergency room in Tasmania a year ago. Our conversation might change your perspective on how to pace yourself. I know it's changed mine. A quick break, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. We're back. This is ZigZag. I'm Anoush Zamarodi. And as I mentioned at the end of every episode, this show is a member of a podcast collective called Radiotopia. You should listen to all the shows in the collective. Radiotopia has always been a mark of excellence in the podcasting world. But you should definitely listen to The Illusionist. 
It's a wicked, funny podcast about language, produced and hosted by Helen Zaltzman. The Allusionist is a show about language. This is The Allusionist, in which I, Helen Zaltzman, poke language with a stick to see if it's still moving. In which I, Helen Zaltzman, ask language, did it hurt when you fell from heaven? In which I, Helen Zaltzman, wait for language to get its Netflix revival. Sometimes it's about one particular word, like how pride was chosen for LGBT pride. The poison was shame. And the antidote to that is pride. (laughs) Helen's husband, Martin Oustwick, also composes the music for her. And uh, longtime ZigZag listeners, you've also heard Martin here on the show as Blockchain Guitar Man. Bitcoin is blockchain's baby. Helen also hosts a comedy show called Answer Me This. I would describe her as wry and kind and luckily for our purposes, really good at turning closets and bathrooms in Airbnb rentals into ad hoc recording studios. Hi. Hi. Am I, wait, am, can you hear me? I just went down to one bar hmm. on my battery. Do you think Me that's too, bad? same. I think if you've just gone down one, it's okay. But let's keep, both keep let's an eye on Let's do that. Let's check on each other's batteries. <laughs> well, funny you should say that because that's what this conversation is oh, about. smooth, smooth. She's a pro. For this interview, Helen happened to be back in Australia where it was early in the morning. So because of the time difference, I decided to record myself from my closet at home in Brooklyn. You know, it was just about bedtime. My husband was away for work. And as you'll hear, leaving mommy alone for an hour to have this conversation was understandably very frustrating for my young daughter. But Helen was very patient with both of us. I'm standing under a blanket in a bathroom of the Airbnb where I'm staying because it's the only quiet place to record. Can you guess where I am, Helen? Uh, Honey, I'm over here. <laughs> I'm in the closet in mom and dad, in, in yeah. our room. Do you want to come say hello? Okay, but then you have to leave because I got to talk to Helen. Say hi, Helen. Hi. Hi. Okay, bye. Let me go talk to her. I am um, in the closet. <laughs> Uh, I'm on the side my the side of my husband's shirts, and um, I it's actually rather relaxing in here away from my children. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get into podcasts, Helen? I was trying to remember, and I don't think I actually. No, it's know. so long ago, Manoush. Who does remember? <laughs> uh, so we started answer me this at the beginning of 2007. Essentially. If you were trying to get people to listen to your podcast, you had to spend 20 minutes explaining to them what podcasts were in the first place before you could even get onto yours. That doesn't seem that long ago. Soraya, I am serious. You have to go now. I told you I needed to talk to Helen. I need a half an hour. I'm not joking. Okay? Kai will have to help you. That's fine. You can take that. Sorry, you just heard me. That's quite all right. It's admirable. I would find the discipline very, very difficult. It's the yeah. worst part. And it's not because you feel bad about disciplining no. them. It's because I'm so tired. Yeah. I can't be bothered to get up the energy. You're like, you know what it. the format is now? No one ever You've told showered you that. before. It's bedtime before. Exactly. Get on with <laughs> it. But here's what I don't understand, though. Like, are you a journalist? No. Are you like a professor? <laughs> like, what were you doing that made it like possible for you to be like, I can talk into a microphone and say really smart things? I'd grown up listening to these people doing late night talk shows and thought oh that sounds great and I also 
loved radio comedy because that was a very big thing in Britain. Like all of the mm. big comedy shows that I grew up with had originated as radio. So one of those two things, I didn't know until I was trying to get into radio that there were not many women on radio in Britain, particularly at the time, but it was extra hard to be allowed in front of a mic. And also, I think I just didn't want to do, <laughs> I didn't want to do the work at the time that you had to go to a small town and do hospital radio there or something for several years. And I don't, right. I think I thought I don't, it's not like I wasn't willing to put in the work, but I thought that might be investing in a career that I don't actually want. And the great thing about podcasting was I, I learned how to edit just by doing it. I learned how to run a website, which I'd never done before. I wasn't on social media when we started the podcast. That was relatively new. We had MySpace and <laughs> that's how we publicized the podcast because right. that was what was available. And what that was Answer Me This at the time. Yeah. And were you making any money off of it? It was a financially devastating time for many years. Um, <laughs> so I was doing a combination of things. I'd been freelance pretty much ever since graduating and, and partly because I hadn't found a career ladder that I wanted to ascend. I had some jobs loaded down in television that I really liked, but I just looked at the ladder and thought, mm, I'm not very interested in what's at the top of that. I was doing mm. freelance publishing jobs, like proofreading and indexing books I used to go to a businessman's house every Saturday morning and he would dictate his memoir to me. Oh, dear. Yes, it wasn't good. Uh, <laughs> um, no. And I had some comedy adjacent jobs. I was never interested in stand-up, but I knew a lot of stand-ups and we would do these sort of weird experimental little shows and festivals and things. And so the combination of that coupled with surprisingly cheap rent, even for London, even at the time, meant I could afford to have this kind of terrible career and do these projects. Answer Me This took me three days a week unpaid. And then I spent the other four days a week looking for work and doing the work. So it was hard, but I think less hard than doing a job that was stable and I didn't want it. Were you like, you know, if I don't start making money off of these, like I guess now in 2019 we call them passion projects. Mm. If I don't start making money off of them, then I'm going to have to go get a nine to five job. Like, did you set yeah. limits on yourself? And what job would I get like that? Because no one would give me one, which was why I was freelance. I didn't have a specific limit, but I was always aware that my dad in his early or mid thirties became a sculptor huh. and it's hard to be a successful sculptor. Yeah. Don't go into sculpting for the money. And he always seemed very, very dissatisfied mm. and kind of bitter about not being a successful sculptor, even though that's a near impossible thing to be. And I just thought, okay, at what point would I be going down that path of dissatisfaction and bitterness rather than optimistic mm -hmm. that it was going somewhere? And I think that was always playing on my mind. But I think I had always felt like I needed to be more active in my career, bad as I was at, at making opportunities and hustling. I knew that I couldn't just sit back and expect the world to give me something. So how do you describe what you do? It's like analysis and art and <laughs> satire and comedy and commentary. And like, I mean, now we just call that a podcast, but if you weren't <laughs> describing it by the medium, what would you say that the content is? It's fact-based entertainment. That's what both my shows have in common. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Uh -huh. That's fair. And it wasn't until I started The Illusionist that it was apparent I could actually make enough money to live just off podcasting. But that's because... It was the beginning of 2015 when I started The Illusionist and podcasting had changed massively 
a few months before with cereal and suddenly it had become a more viable job. But it was a bit easier for me as well to have this uh, mess of a career because I didn't have children and I wasn't intending to have children. So I didn't have to think. You knew you didn't want them or you couldn't have them? I I don't know whether I couldn't have them because I didn't feel strongly enough about having them to have them. But it really meant that I didn't have the similar kind of deadline of being like, right, you need to get enough in place so that you can have children, which is bound to wreck your career a bit, because unfortunately that is how things go. It was kind of a privilege to fail so much for so many years, or at least not (laughs) succeed rather than actively fail. Because I failed, I felt to drive my career forward, but at least I made something which in retrospect was was moving forward, but at the time it really felt not like that. And also for so many years, having a successful podcast was a totally meaningless thing to have. And then very quickly it moved into a cliche. When I first got to know you, so you and your husband had decided to do something I thought quite extreme. Can you explain to people? Reckless. Well, no, I won't go that far, but like fascinating. Can you explain? Yeah, well, around... September 2017. What was happening was that podcasting was mainly picking up steam in the US and I was spending a lot of time in the US and things seemed to be happening for me there and nothing was happening for me in the UK where we were living. And my husband and I had got kicked out of the flat where we'd been living for 10 years that we would have happily lived in until I couldn't get up the stairs anymore. (laughs) And then Brexit happened and I thought, what? uh, why do I why am I doing this? I don't really want to be in this place where all I do is leave it for other places. Mm. And my husband was a tenured academic in London. And so it was like, am I always going to be working on a different continent to him? Mm. But he, he was very good at his job, but it wasn't necessarily fulfilling him. And, um, I think he was like, well, at some point I'm going to get out of this and try and find something that suits me better. So maybe now is that time. And what we decided to do was become itinerant for a while and bounce around different countries and see a bit of the world because I hadn't traveled very much. And um, we're still doing that nearly two years on. Um, We've incorporated live shows as well. So there's a justification for being in New Zealand or Australia where I am now is because we're touring, but also it's amazing to experience different places. You've been on the road for two years now? Nearly, yeah. What's it like? Like, do you guys have a rhythm? I mean, first of Mm. all, spending so much time with your partner. Second of all, having all your stuff and you're like working on the road. What's it been like? Yeah, I've never been that good at having routines anyway. I'm not a routine-driven person, so that probably helps. But what about Martin? Like, how do you divvy up? Like, who's in charge of, like, booking the the accommodation? And do you say to him, like, go away, I have to go make a show? Like, how do you work all that? The useful thing about Martin is that he naps a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> I get what feels like free time. It, but it's been surprisingly easy and pleasant to be stuck with each other so much. And also he has his projects. He he makes music. He's made music for ZigZag. That's true. Uh, that people might remember. Episode two. And the reprise at some point. That's right. He's in charge of booking the tours and planning itineraries and things. I'm in charge of booking accommodation because I'm 
much more picky about places. Or if I dislike the place we're staying, it's my fault, not his fault. And then in terms of work, do you have a very tight schedule? Like what is your, I'm interested because as someone who doesn't really ascribe to having a particular rhythm, you have to have some rhythm because you're, whether you have a rhythm or not, your show comes out at certain times. Like you've sold advertising, you have responsibilities. Yeah. It's such a bumpy rhythm. And it's always been that way with The Illusionist, even when I still lived somewhere. Every subject, I have to figure out what I'm trying to say, how much research is required, who to interview or how many people to interview. And then am I going to make the interviews into some snazzy format or run them fairly straight as interviews? And even if I do that, there's a lot, a lot of editing involved. And it's just chaos. (laughs) And then... I finish a show and I'm so exhausted that (laughs) I just need not to think about it for a few days, which means the few days after that are even worse because I think, oh God, the deadline is so close. Um, Why did you spend a few days ignoring the illusionist and doing all the (laughs) other things you had to do? Uh, Yeah. So it's just every time it's like picking myself up off the floor and being like, well, you have to get it out because the sponsors. But what does chaos look like for you? Um, I mean, I don't know what it looks like, uh, but what it feels like is just... (laughs) Like a, like a, the big boot in Monty Python crushing me into the floor. <laughs> and it's all my own fault as well. This is a kind of a good thing as well about my career is that there haven't been that many other people to blame when things are not nice or not going well. And maybe it's easier to have that outlet, but I find it's maybe a better life path only to have myself to blame for things. But it is a permanent state of self-hatred as well. One of the things that has come up a lot over the last six months is there was this article that was... BuzzFeed. Yeah, it's Anne Helen Peterson. She was on my show. Very interesting person. So can you explain what the article was about? And I'd love to hear what your thoughts were on it. So Anne Helen Peterson wrote this long article about burnout, specifically how it affects uh, millennials. And she made this argument that there are people who graduated into a recession and have been encouraged to work all the time. And I'm slightly too old to be a millennial by like a couple of years, but I feel this as well, where there's a lot of pressure on people's time. And maybe because people are online now, which means you're expected to be available all the time. And this is probably worse for people with normal job structures than me. (laughs) But What I took from it as well, as someone not from the US, is that it's sort of the progression of the American work culture where there's this idea that work is is very noble and it's kind of its own reward. So if you're Mm. in a poorly paid job, you take a lot of pride in that job. And, And to me, going to the States and the service you receive from someone who works in a car hire place in the middle of nowhere or in any diner or something is just astonishing. I think, wow, these people are amazing at this. It's not a not a kind of service culture that we have <laughs> in the UK. Mm. And it feels like a miracle. But what is it covering up? Is it just, oh, well, your reward is not payment or benefits or being treated well. It is just you doing this job and having pride in the job. And that means I think a lot of people are working, working, working and are under rewarded for it. But time off is great. (laughs) It's like a hard reset on your functions and it allows you to do other things that if you're in a creative job, inform that work or just, you know, to live. 
for a bit and see people and that's all very enriching and then not to be able to do that is can get very debilitating you had um, a period where you were forced to take some time out are you okay to talk about that yeah we're actually recording this on the anniversary of when i checked into an emergency room at a hospital in hobart which is in tasmania the island state of australia that's off the bottom so quite a remote place really the ends of the earth yeah um although a great place to be on well because it was very relaxing to recover um and very beautiful so strongly recommend tasmania they have a very good hospital but i had strep throat that just wouldn't go away and i had to fly to the other side of the country to do a live show and a tedx and I just felt so terrible and there was a, a leaflet in the hotel room for a local doctor and I thought, okay, I, I normally I would just leave things until I got better rather than have to deal with health crises. But I thought, I've got to go to Perth tomorrow and I don't want my eardrums to burst on the plane because I've got, my head's all bunged up. And so I went and um, he said, well, I can't promise your eardrums won't burst on the plane. But he gave me some prescriptions, I took them and then that night my neck swelled up on one side. I couldn't move my head anymore went back to the doctor the next day and he was like, mm, don't know what that is. Oh and so on this day last year, I checked into the emergency room and they were like, yeah, you're not going to Perth. <laughs> I had um, what's called a retropharyngeal abscess, which is where there's some empty space in your neck and mine had filled with pus. And it's quite oh. a, an unusual ailment in adults because it's usually children under eight who get it. They get an infected lymph node. Anyway, it's quite dangerous because quite quickly it can either close your airway or poison your blood. Oh, and either of those things are not great for the continuation of human life. So I was in hospital for three and a half weeks. I was in the ICU for a while with a breathing tube, which is bad. This is The Illusionist, in which I, Helen Zaltzman, I'm not feeling so good, so you're going to have to pull in close to hear me for a sec. I am recording somewhere. I have never recorded a podcast before. Hospital. Here's my IV. Here are some blips and bloops. There are lots of those. Over there behind the blue curtain is my roommate, Marge. And this is my voice at the moment. The doctors routinely ask, is that your normal voice? And I don't want to get all, do you know who I am? But uh, I remember the day after I came out of the ICU, I had an episode due and I thought, oh my God. I have to put something out. Can't tell the sponsors that I was ill. What if they never come back? Because I always feel like the future of my show is vulnerable, especially given all the other options they have to sponsor things. So I messaged a friend who makes a show that I love and I said, please, can I just put an episode of yours out on my feed? And he was like, yeah, great. Oh. But I recorded this very sad sounding introduction because my throat had just had a tube pulled out of it and it was completely wrecked and hospitals are also not acoustically good so so it's me just going ah, 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 ah. it's a very forlorn sounding thing although I think people were the listeners were very sympathetic because how could you not be but now yeah. it just seems like really ridiculous I didn't just say look this isn't going to happen and then luckily I'd programmed a break which usually I would spend getting interviews and developing ideas for the next six months of the show. And instead I spent it being hospitalized. And then just after getting out of hospital, I had to get back to work. And it was, it was useful to have something to do, but my brain was just so wrecked for months. It was wrecked. 
In what way? Because you were your body was just trying to recover and repair? Right. Yeah, it takes it takes everything. Like I couldn't follow a thought process for months because I was just so drained and So what do you do when your livelihood is based on you continuing to have good ideas? I don't I don't know. <laughs> I was also very frightened because I had a lot of problems with my throat for a few months and my voice kept cutting out and I just thought what if I can't control my voice anymore I couldn't control the tone and I thought what do I do if I can't speak what's my backup option and I just felt like everything was very fragile like if my brain wasn't working or my voice wasn't working or both it was just all over and I thought my husband is financially dependent on me at the moment what have I done how have I got myself into this situation but I don't know what you do when when your brain doesn't work and you still have to do the show because There've been so many times where I've felt incapable of producing ideas and yet I had a deadline and therefore a show came out and it was like the work was happening without me really being an agent in it despite doing all of it myself. Mm. It was very strange. It was like this process was just happening and I was somewhere else. If this was like an American story, you would be like, you know, but getting sick was the best thing that ever happened to me. It made me realize that I needed to stop and take a break, (laughs) you know, like, but it doesn't sound like that's really what the story is here. It was in some ways an amazing thing to happen to me. I felt really sublime Hmm. for a long time, for months after it happened. And I don't think it was just, hey, I'm alive. I think it just really clarified a lot of things and like what took away a lot of layers I think it was just it felt like a lot of layers of my personality had been removed Mm. and also I just couldn't do loads of things anymore it was very hard to socialize it was hard to be in places that were noisy because I couldn't speak loudly or for very long I didn't have the energy to see people um I'd already booked in a tour that started a month and a half after I got out of hospital, the tour started in Britain and continued for three months. And you did it. Yeah, I did it. (laughs) I did it in four different countries. Was it miserable? Were you like, how did you get through it? No, I don't know how I got through it. It was great. Um, It felt, again, like it was very fortuitous that I had planned that before because it made no medical sense. It was, in fact, a very bad idea to be traveling so much and to be working so much extra and to be exposed to lots of people with probably with colds. And yet it felt like the tour was very restorative, but there's no good reason why hmm. that would be. It's fascinating. But I suppose I don't know where the where the reserves come from because also just I'm still tired. It's a year on and I'm still tired and I'm still catching up on the work I missed. We're going to take a quick break. I'll be back with Helen Zaltzman with more on how she manages her energy these days. And Jen Poyant, my business partner, will be here too. We're going to tell you about what we have planned in order to prevent burnout here at Stable Genius Productions. We'll be right back. We're back. This is ZigZag. I'm Anoush. And according to U.S. News and World Report, the people with the most stressful jobs are surgeons, steelworkers, mental health counselors, patrol officers, paramedics, lawyers, and financial managers. And I think that all makes sense. Keeping people alive, or at least out of debt, or doing dangerous work, those are very stressful occupations. 
being a podcaster? Maybe not so much. But look, even if your job isn't about medical emergencies, keeping up with deadlines, running your own small company, deciding to live a life that satisfies you intellectually and can pay the bills, well, let's just say that can also be dangerous to your mental and physical health. Yeah, it really can be dangerous. And it's not benefiting anybody to work yourself until you're ill. It doesn't really produce more work than, I think, deciding that you're only going to work a certain amount of the day and you're going to ring fence the rest of your time and do something completely unwork-related. I think that makes people more productive. But I think there's a lot of guilt that, oh, someone else is spending all their time working and I'm not. So you have to remove yourself from that kind of mindset. And the illness forced me to do that as well. I just can't work at the pace I used to anymore. It just can't happen. It physically can't happen and mentally can't happen. Does that frustrate you? You sound actually very at peace with it. Oh, I'm, I mean, I'm great with working less. It's so weird because it's not voluntary. I can't multitask anymore. It just doesn't happen. My brain refuses to think about huh. things when it's doing something else. And I still, it's not like I have great concentration, but just certain processes have been eliminated. I've always been a person who compartmentalizes stress. So uh, there's a queue of things I'll stress about and I can only stress about the thing at the front of the queue. I can't be thinking about the thing that is four things back and think, well, your time will come when you're next in the concern queue. And that kind of mindset has got more extreme. It's kind of a blessing, huh? Uh, yeah, I wow. guess. I don't know. It, anyone can do it. Have your own concern <laughs> queue. And... <laughs> And only in the queue now is yeah. taxes, yeah. quarterly estimated taxes. Which reminds me, I do need to email my accountant because <laughs> yes. I don't know how long he extended my tax deadline for. I'm having a flashback to a lunch that you and I went to and you were asking me what I was doing and you just shook your, this is before you went traveling and before you were ill and you said, you just shook your head at me and you said, Manoush, you have to protect your brain. You have to protect your wow. brain. Meaning that did I? I yeah, you did. Meaning that I didn't take enough time to reset and like restore essentially. But and at the time I was like, Helen's so wise. And I had no <laughs> idea that you were really speaking to yourself at that moment. And I think I felt good at that moment that mm. that conversation would have happened. I felt in a good place. And yet I think Ever since I started The Illusionist, I always feel about four episodes away from everything just grinding to a halt or the wheels falling off. Well, what if they did? Like, well, do you have savings? Like, what would you do? Well, now I do. But before The Illusionist, I didn't. Mm. I had no backup options. And I always had a period of underemployment every year because when you're freelance, it seems like all the work comes at the same time. Yeah, it's true. So you're exhausted and then nothing for a few months and then you're worried that you're never going to work again and what are you going to do? So I haven't had that during The Illusionist, which is lucky. But I also think, wow, this show is going well, so you don't want to stop it, but you need to take a break because otherwise it's going to destroy you. So if you take a break, are your listeners going to come back? Are the sponsors going to come back? It's these thoughts that that I have. And, and I, I'm also so bad at planning ahead. And yet you have to plan ahead for up to a year because of the ad sales. So I think, well, if I plan to take time off next year, maybe I'll feel fine next year. And I'll be like, why did you do that? 
And yet I always feel like I'm just crawling to the finish line. And, um, and it's weird because this job is an absolute privilege that I do. It's amazing I just know. to get to do what I want and to make money. But then I look ahead and I think, okay, so the, this amazing job situation is just the ability to make more of it and to get more tired. So I do worry that there is someone listening who's like, you two should just go get jobs that will have good health insurance and give you three weeks off every summer and stop complaining. Yeah, right. I mean, I always feel like I should stop complaining, but no one would give me one of those jobs. No one has ever (laughs) given me one of those jobs. Why? I think I'm just really bad at getting jobs. And also people just historically have not known what to do with me. They're like, well, you're funny, but you're not a stand up. You're good at talking on mic, but you're not male. (laughs) Oh, dear. Have they really said that? Mm. Uh, Yeah. Yep. Those words. They have literally said that. Wow. Yeah. That's something. Yikes. Yeah. And then you went and found your own people, your own audience. Made made my own thing. So wait, how do you do all of it, though? Like, who does the social media? How do you, what about the books? Like, what about the website? All of that stuff. How do you do it all? I think it's just, I can get the things done, but I don't really have extra resources for doing them better or for doing them further ahead of time or for thinking, okay, here's a direction you could go in or other projects you could do off the back of this or meetings you could take and ways to build an empire. It's really just, I'm maxed out on just keeping things from not getting too far behind. You're really living in the present in many ways. Yeah, I think I've always done that. But I think also that's a way of not being disappointed because you don't work (laughs) up to a thing that might never happen. I think, well, two weeks in the future I can probably plan for, but eight months in the future, that's a fictional time that will never happen. God, Jen and I are getting like ready to like try and do like our 10-year plan. (laughs) Oh, well, tell me what that's like. But again, once you have children, you you, you have to be like, okay, we'll be here because they're at school here and this is what they'll need at this time of their lives and, and all of that. But then... It's also remarkable just what you can do on adrenaline. <laughs> but yeah, maybe it's just when you get the opportunity to slow the pace and you think, oh, you know what? I'm going to read a novel that's not for anything. Yeah. Um, sorry, my stomach just rumbled, so I'll wait. No, uh, that's quite a, it's, there, it's it's done. breakfast time. Oh, listen to it. It's quite lovely, actually. Apologies. Also a bit of reverb from uh, from the bathroom because it's not protected by the blanket. <laughs> <laughs> But I think often the problem is not the ideas not happening. It's having too many ideas and limited capacity to develop them and act on them, isn't it? It's tantalizing. You think, well, I can't stop all these things, all these things. So many things, but I got to figure out which one is actually worth putting in the quality time instead of go, 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 go. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what it's like to be the kind of person that works for years making a small amount of work exquisite rather than someone who churns it out and thinks, well, that was pretty good. You know, for the time you had available, that was pretty good. And maybe that's an excuse I use with myself. Maybe the work could be better, except I don't allow it more time to be better. I don't know. But then probably what would happen is if I had more time, I would just leave it until the last minute and I would never find out what it is to nurture it. So last question for you, because I can hear my children's little breaths at the door. (laughs) Sorry. It's like I'm a, like, mommy fox in the den and the little foxes are outside. (laughs) (laughs) So 
Are you taking time off this summer? You are the grand finale episode before we are actually taking a break for zigzag because, boy, do we need it. Breaks. I know. Yes. It's paining me to say it out loud right now. Paining me. Anyway, it's a good it's thing. It's okay to take a break. It's okay it's to, great take, to a take a break. Yes. Get a t-shirt. It's great to take a break. It's great to take a break. Are you taking a break? So I'm taking some time off in July, slightly less than I wanted because I got so behind schedule. My show is a week late, but I'm not not working during it. Um, I have to decide who to interview. I've realized I can't find interviewees while I'm in production mode mm. and record the interviews. So that's what has to happen in July. I think I've become quite good at just ignoring work because you have to say to yourself, I'm not going to feel guilty in this time that I'm not working, that I should be working and thus not really using the non-work time well. No, that's not useful. Uh, my brain has got a lot better at that. Yeah, if you're going to do it, don't feel guilty about it. That's a good point. Right, right. But like, so I took the end of December and most of January off this year, which was supposed to be for getting ahead and relaxing. And instead I was looking after my parents who needed medical attention. And then the previous break I was in hospital. So I'm just very behind on doing the things that have to happen in the breaks. <sighs> Running on empty. Yeah. It's a good life though. It's a good life. It is, right? I know it really is. It's just, it is life. It's part of growing up is understanding that it's caretaking is, whether it's kids or older parents or your own health is a it has to be factored in it just has to be you don't know when it's going to happen but it's right. going to happen to all of us well that's morbid sorry i tend to <laughs> no, go don't there. apologize it's uh it's 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 highly possible on a happy note on a happy note we're alive now we're alive now and also i always i've been giving a lot of talks and i always play a clip of martin's uh blockchain song <laughs> and then I asked the audience, I said, you know, he and I are thinking about doing an entire album explaining concepts in technology, like the 5G song. And everyone roars and claps. I think you have to book it in. God, I would love to. I really would. I'll get him to book it in because he's in charge of travel itineraries. Whoa, yeah, that's right. Can he be in charge of mine too? Probably. That would be cool. Oh, I would literally <laughs> love to do that. Helen, thank you so much for locking yourself into a bathroom in Australia for us this fine Thursday morning. Oh, no no worries. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, letting me talk about myself and people going, what a self-indulgent person. <laughs> you know what? That's what this episode's about. Yeah. Indulge yourself while you can, if you can. I don't feel like I have real problems. Well, don't negate it. Right. Look, all of our problems are real. They're problems it's a privilege to have. Exactly. Indeed. All right, should we let the baby foxes in? Yeah. Do you want to hear what Helen sounds like? She has a lovely voice. Hi, Ryan. Did you have your shower? Mm-hmm. You did, right? She's grinning with enormous teeth at you. <laughs> Do you know where Helen is? She's in Australia. Um, okay, we're going, we're going. All right, Helen, give my, a big hug to Martin Bye. for me, okay? Okay, yes. <laughs> Bye! Okay, many thanks to Helen Zaltzman for making the time in a bathroom in Australia to talk to us. And I am joined now by my co-founder, Jen Poyant, in a nice air-conditioned studio in Manhattan. I'm not in the closet You're anymore You're not in the either. closet? No. With little foxes. With my little foxes Nipping out the, at the door. door. I know. So 
Helen, I think, is very envious of our partnership. I mean, as much as Martin really, her husband really does help make The Illusionist, Mm -hmm. I think she's always like, I feel immense gratitude for our partnership. And I think a lot of people in our industry have never found that. I think, you know, if you look at uh, Ann Friedman and Amina, they have it, Mm -hmm. which is cool. Yep. But there aren't that many people that have it. And Robert so, and Jad at Radio Lab. Yeah, that's true. So we are. We're, we're very lucky in that regard. And I can understand why she would be a little envious. So I really wanted to put this episode out this week because we are about to actually take a break ourselves. And as you know, I get very excited about breaks, but then when they actually come... I start to panic. Yeah. Do you want to tell people what we're planning and how you're feeling about it? We're going to take August off. (laughs) We're going to take a break. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to take August off, kind of. We're taking the first two weeks off for full-on vacations, and that's to recharge. Manoush also has this habit of working her butt off to the point of no return and then coming up with, like, the most brilliant ideas. Uh, No pressure. No pressure, but it happens. Like, you go away for, like, one day, and you're like, I've got it. So you've actually already kind of done it once in the past few weeks. We'll see if we can execute. Yeah, exactly. So that's like little mini sabbatical time. And then we'll gather back together in mid-August and start churning out episodes for both Note to Self and ZigZag for the fall. Yeah. So what that means for you listeners is that we will officially be back on September 12th. But meanwhile, we do have a couple special goodies in August that we're going to put out to sustain you. So don't worry. If you are taking the month off, that's great. Rest your ears. We totally support you. If you're looking for a little uh, zigzag action, we're going to have a couple things for you. Yeah. And the beauty of podcasting is you can wait until September 1st to listen to those episodes if you want. Good point. On demand. But when we come back, I'm really, really, really psyched because we're going to kick things off with a very special episode, research that we've been doing about you, dear listeners, data, stories, analysis. And I think, I'm working on it, but a blueprint for getting back to work and school in September. So we're going to be working very hard on that over the next month. Ooh, I sense a series, Blueprints. Yes. Stable Genius Blueprints. I know. I'm getting excited. Anyway, but I am going to try and take two weeks off, like really take two weeks off because I am a little crunchy. Yeah. yeah. But we are going to be getting the September episodes ready. We need to take a little rest to keep our brains and bodies functioning. I, I forget that all too often. And I think hearing Helen's story is a... it's. It's an important reminder. Yeah, and I'd like to really ask our listeners to please come back to us in September. It's easy. See, I know we get nervous. And, you know, Helen talked about this being so scared that she couldn't even take a week off in the hospital. So that fear is real for anyone that works in the publishing industry and the podcasting industry that you go away and then then you lose your people. So please come back to us. Yeah, do come back. We're excited to see you. We have a lot planned, too. You're the best, also. Anyway, should we go? Yeah. This episode was produced by me and Jen Poyant. Matt Boynton is our audio engineer and sound designer. David Herman is our composer. Maria Wartell is our production coordinator. Many thanks to Anya Jajik for her audio engineering, too, and Marcy Thompson for her producing. Zigzag comes from Stable Genius Productions. We are proud members of Radiotopia from PRX. I'm Anoush Samarodi. And I will see you in September. 
Thank you so much for listening. Is that a song? See you in September. It is. It is a song. I've already done it as a goodbye on a previous September mm. episode, so I wasn't going to do it again because I don't want to repeat myself. Well, too bad. It's going to happen. Mwah, mwah.